0: about it here at kuhs denver.com also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com
1: good afternoon everyone and welcome to the council i'm your host charlie pochello and boy do we have a fantastic show for you today uh, so excited to be able to introduce my guest here shortly, but I just want to shout out to every one of you who tune in every week or every other week to the council here. It is because of you and your just being here and listening all the time that makes this show possible, Uh, and I thank each and every one of you from all around the globe that tune in and listen to us. We try very much to be uh, giving you the honest truth, to give you uh, shows that embrace the totality of life, that share the wisdom that so many people have learned over the years, and to be able to give this a, a platform for us to be able to bring people together. Uh, We are KUHS, Radio TV Denver, uh, The Stream, and we're broadcasting here in beautiful Denver, Colorado, all across the nation and all across the world. Uh, We have some incredible programming here at KUHS. Our reach continues to grow beyond our wildest imaginations as we become one of the most recognized stations, not only in our nation, but around the globe. Uh, We're growing exponentially as our listeners are tuning in from all kinds of different places, continents, countries. uh, And uh, our mission is to bring you the quality programming that reflects the diversity of our staff and to have honest, grounded, authentic conversations about the many issues we face as a culture and as a society. We stand as a beacon of hope here. Uh, In a world uh, filled with fear, distrust, and separation, we strive every day to bring our city and our nation and our world together, uh, where we celebrate our commonalities, our goodness, and our humanity. So we are KUHS TV, radio, Denver, the stream, and uh, it is such an honor to be here with you every week or every other week. Um, Today we're going to be talking... um, a little bit about uh, moral injury and non-combatants. Uh, a lot of people who serve in the military uh, don't serve in combat. The vast majority don't serve in combat. Uh, there would be a small percentage in, in our modern-day warfare that actually sees and participates in combat, and the vast majority don't. They sit behind the scenes or they're working behind consoles or they're participating in or organizing and connecting the links that enable for us to conduct war when we are called to do it. And a lot of times people experience trauma, um, moral injury, uh, disturbances to their, their sense of s- coal and conscience that uh, can create problems later on in life. Um, there is a, um, an old story. Well, not an old story. But there was uh, when, uh, when people were trying to understand what happened, how the Nazi genocide happened. Uh, where, where where did that where did the uh, uh, the, um, the genocide of the Jews when that happened? who were the the links that brought that together and it, One of the people was a guy named Adolf Eichmann and Eichmann was uh, pretty much the organizer of getting the Jews from the ghettos to the concentration camps and he was just a connecting link, but he it was because of his efforts and his work that made those uh, exterminations possible. Millions and millions of people died, and in his trial during the Nuremberg trials, uh, he didn't feel like he had done anything wrong. That he was just doing his duty that it was he never killed anybody he was just ordered to do this and so he was he had become an unthinking automaton that allowed this thing to happen because he wasn't connected to his conscience he wasn't connected to the very things that enable us to be able to say this is right this is wrong this is good this is bad why in the hell are we doing something like this this makes no sense uh, At that time, because everything had gotten turned upside down, where right was now wrong, and what was wrong was now right, um, because they had turned morality upside down on itself, and you couldn't trust yourself anymore, and at the same time, if you went against what... The Nazi regime wanted you to do. It could cost you your life. It could cost you your family's life. I mean, there was a lot of other factors, but people had to shut down, had to close down their connection to their conscience, to that ability to be able to perceive uh, right and wrong in the world. And so, but it became clear that those of us who are caught up in the uh, in the in the non-combatant role. We can be our guilt gets dispersed in a way because we're just like, well, I'm just a piece in a puzzle. I'm just a piece in a, in a puzzle of the military machine, this grand, huge military industrial government complex that links everything all together that happened as a consequence of uh, of World War Two and, and, uh, uh, and the Cold War. And it was actually Eisenhower who warned us against this. You've got to be careful of this government-military-industrial uh, complex because it. We, we no longer are able to sense that sense of what is good and noble in the world anymore. And our complicity in the system becomes uh, dispersed. Our, our sense of guilt in, in, in participating in things that... Otherwise, if we were left to think about it on our on our own, we might say this is wrong. Why? What are we doing here? And that's what I felt when I was start when I was working on the nuclear warfare program, the NDS program. Yeah, it had a noble reason to to, to not uh, blow up nuclear weapons in the first place. But the side that I was working on was about, you know, integrated tactical warning and attack assessment, nuclear force management. It was all out nuclear war. That's what I was planning on. This is all stuff you can find in my in my um, public records. So it was it was confounding. I was like, why in the world are we doing this? This is we're we're talking about blowing up the entire world. How how is that it, it, this is sadistic. There's something wrong in that thinking. And I could see how so many people that were working in this field had just completely shut themselves off from that conscience, that moral clarity, that place that we grew up in in, in our in our value system and our traditions that says, uh-uh, You don't do this, you defend and protect and, and preserve life, uh, and maybe fight into to a to, you know your 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 enemy in order to protect those that you love, but you don't indiscriminately and arbitrarily annihilate people who had nothing to do with what's going on and just the killed for the sake of killing like a collective mass suicide and so I was understanding Adolf Eichmann my role and what I was participating in and seeing how he had to shut himself off in order to do what he had to do and that I didn't shut myself off and it created an immense moral chasm inside, which was my moral injury, even though I had never experienced combat before. I was having nightmares of a nuclear apocalypse. I was having uh, disastrous uh, memories and a few, uh, having horrible nightmares of people being burned and all kinds of things. So there were, it affects us profoundly. And a lot of times people who are non-combatants. Uh, don't get the treatment that they need they don't get the healing that they deserve they don't recognize that they, actually their soul has been wounded and so they they end up feeling lost and innervated and not being able to move forward in life and wondering why they feel the way that they feel and in years pass on and they they they're, they're, they're they they become despairing and hopeless, and, and they start medicating themselves in order to drown out the memories or the lack of of of, of, of hope in their life, and uh, and, and so it, what those those are symptoms of a deeper problem of the wo- of the soul that has been wounded. Now. The gentleman who I want to introduce to you today is also a veteran. And we're going to talk in depth about this and how noncombatants are affected by moral injury, by PTSD, and what they can do about it. Chuck Blocker uh, is a PhD, and um, he wrote this uh, when I was asking for his bio. And uh, he wrote this haiku trusting soul, blooming self-mightily, sunny life. He was uh, a retired Air Force captain. He's a spiritual companion and life coach. He's been married 32 years and with a married daughter. They live in the sacred space co. He's been a life coach for 15 years, uh, worked for technology companions, taught college, uh, raised a daughter uh, uh, and husband caring for his wife, and has been doing this transformative work for a long, long time with uh, military members from moral trauma, uh, especially non-combat veterans. Uh, This is his purpose. And it tears him apart when we don't deal with our moral trauma. And he sees this so often in the people that he works with. And he says it's not healthy to carry this around. And moral trauma is something that we all have to work with. We, We must live a noble potential. And that's living in action. And so his philosophy is to empower adults to enjoy a contented, successful, and highly effective life through engaging the soul, their true self, to live their noble potential. He holds a doctorate degree with a concentration in psychology and a specialization in leadership from the Union Institute and University. Uh, He completed a certificate in spiritual guidance from the Rose Center and coaching training from the Coach Training Institute. Folks, I'd like to introduce you to Chuck. Welcome to the council, Chuck.
2: Charlie, thank you so much. Wow. Um, So where did you find the guy that you just talked about?
1: uh are you adolf eichmann uh no 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 me i'm oh the guy yeah yeah Yeah, what what is it these guys (laughs) i found Um, i found you with uh these warrior councils that we've been having lately and uh it was just we resonated right at the beginning we connected right at the beginning on on this issue
2: this is a powerful issue and you know um I just really started down this road not too long ago, probably a couple of years ago, and really didn't quite understand it until, excuse me, until this summer when I had my own um, ritual around retiring military shock. And it was about letting go of the protector who had to protect me from what happened while mm-hmm. I was in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the the this idea of non-combatants and moral injury i think sometimes gets gets put aside because as you mentioned in your intro um we're not combat we haven't been in combat and yet um i'll describe a little bit my first assignment in the military was um to actually launch minuteman three uh test missiles I launched seven of them with a other group of men and women and we thought we were doing something very noble. You know, we thought we were showing the world our capability as a nuclear power. Mm -hmm. And what I come to find out as, as we'll talk about is that we actually allowed our country to use us in a way to garner power and money and other things that were not part of the noble truth. That I know, I was trying to live, and I know many men and women in the military live.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, you—you did start. You have a military background, right? Uh, You uh, you come from a military background, and you were. uh, Could you share just a little bit about your your early life? What led you to the military? What led you to the Air Force? All the all the stuff you were just kind of talking about those noble feelings that you probably had as a as a kid.
2: Yeah. My two uncles are Vietnam veterans. One was an F-100 F-4 pilot who um, flew interdiction missions against the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Vietnam. Um, The other one was a C-130 pilot. And he did. So growing up, I got there sort of what they were doing. Um, And I really was like, that's what I want to do. I was also a kid who grew up with a learning disability and you know was sort of said, ah, you know, you're not quite good enough, but this was something I could aspire to. I could aspire to what my uncles were doing. So um, uh, as I grew up, as I started going to high school in college, when I went and looked for colleges, I had to have ROTC. So I, had, I wanted to go to the Reserve Officer Training Corps. And I did that, and I got a degree in engineering, and I became a second lieutenant in the Air Force in 1986. So, And the other piece of this is that I also found out recently that I had relatives who fought in the Revolutionary War Mm. and a captain, James Montgomery, who fought in the Civil War. And then I also found out uh, that my grandmother was a... uh, Codebreaker for the Navy in Washington D.C. during World War II, wow. um, and they actually just wrote a book about what she did that I just saw, and I'm, I'm really anxious to read.
1: It's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, that's really like when you when you discover that stuff and you learn that stuff because I think you and I were just talked about that recently where we had that that uh, like discovery. We just realized you know learned about ancestors of mine that fought in the civil war you know and, and and going back to the revolutionary war i mean it was like wow i had no idea our roots my you know yours and mine went so deep here And maybe that's why some of our trauma is so deep because of the transgenerational transmission that happens because they weren't able to process and deal with the the enormity of the carnage that had happened like in the Civil War. You know, There was so much blood and so much death at that time and they didn't have the resources we have today to be able to – so they had to push it all down and it showed up in their families. And it, and it just kind of spread that way.
2: Especially, um, I think, in the Civil War and in Vietnam War, um, because the Civil War, you know, it was brother against brother. How do you reconcile that? And And part of it was when the South was uh reconstructed there was never the 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 discussion between the north and the south the brothers and the sisters that said hey Mm -hmm. this is traumatic for us how do we deal with this And we didn't have that and that is um that was a very traumatic event and the country really hadn't had an opportunity to uh, really talk about it and i think some cases with the, the the second world war even though we won and um, you know, we defeated Hitler, we defeated Eichmann, and, and that we didn't really talk about why we got there, what yeah. happened. We didn't bring back our warriors from this and talk about how we reintegrate them. And I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. My father-in-law I never met him. He, he died before my wife and I was married. Mm-hmm. He was a gunner in a B-17. Now, I can only imagine what a gunner is in a B-17. I've been in one. So to try to get to the back of a B-17, you must crawl through it, and then you sit hunched with this forty five caliber machine gun. Actually, there's two of them. Mm -hmm. So he had to do this day after day. And when he came back, he changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and And he continued to change. That's the thing about this moral trauma. It's not like, oh, you change and you stop. Yeah. He yeah. he wrote letters, you know, that were very personal to her mother and they were really great and then he just started changing and changing and changing and unfortunately he was a an alcoholic and um you know and he and he wasn't violent or anything but that's his he he dealt with his trauma in the military through alcohol.
1: Yeah. And that's what I think is so, you know, when we're talking about these generational things that happen you have that moral injury that occurs when you see the senselessness of what you're doing. You know, if you're going back into the Civil War time, the senselessness of, of annihilating and, and, and bombing and, and seeing these people torn to shreds. What was this for? What was the purpose? And they had soldiers that were roaming the countryside at that time. So I was called Soldiers Heart and they were just kind of longing this sense of nostalgia of what's going on. Then we move into the world, and then they didn 't process that, and they drank and they were lost, and they were longing they didn 't pay attention to their children, their sons, their daughters growing up what 's wrong with dad i don 't know what 's wrong with uh, uncle johnny what's wrong and so all of a sudden now they didn 't get the nurturance that they needed for their development, and yes, now yes. they 're being punished for the for the for the things that happened to their 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 uncles their dads, their brothers and then it just gets passed down then they get into the service and they get traumatized you know world war 1 you had shell shock world war 2 you had battle fatigue and this stuff never gets cleared up never gets cleared up and then all you know, of a sudden it comes to us and and we're dealing with uh, with generational trauma on top of the trauma that we experience ourselves when we when we join the service
2: you know and and i, I don't one of the things that was passed down to me was my great great grandfather's bullet yeah that he was wounded with now i don't know if i can show it yeah it's going to be would be difficult with the background but sorry about that folks but it's 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 um almost six tenths of an inch in diameter you think about that and what he had to go through to do that and that that trauma in itself was fixed but how did that then transmit through my great-grandfather then my, my grandfather and then myself mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I really got into this work with you and Dr. Tick that really started saying oh, wait a minute trans um, uh, the generational trauma is just huge. Mm-hmm. And think about this you have this trauma that you've born into the world with in my case i have a learning disability so i have the trauma of just having to see the the world a little bit differently deal with the world a bit differently and then i go into the military not knowing about the the military generational trauma and then my working with intercontinental ballistic missiles you know and that really is a a, a complex excuse me, trauma
1: event. Oh my gosh, it's enormously complex. And I would love for you to be able to share, you know, um, how you got into the work, what it was like working, and when you realized you had that moral injury, what it was like, because a lot of people don't understand, you know, it sounds, oh, so cool. and so interesting when you're working with intercontinental ballistic missiles. Yeah, okay, until you know what they're going to be doing (laughs) on the other end of that thing. Uh, could you share with that, you know, about what it was, you know, in your, in the Air Force, what it, your assignment was like and how it shaped you and impacted you and, and maybe um, damaged your moral compass?
2: So I'm a second lieutenant. I'm 25 years, 24, 25 years old. Um, I'm in, enthusiastic.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: let me set the stage. One of my... Um, uh, officers that I went through ROTC was was also there, highly respected major that I knew. So it's like, wow, I know somebody there. And he was a missileer. and so I'm assigned to the local comm unit. And our our innocuous um, uh, title is missile communications and instrumentation. Now, missile everything has a communications component, as you know, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the instrumentation package, uh, because we have to decide, we have to be able to see what's happening to these things. My my branch was also uh, in charge of, so the first few launches was like, yes, yes, wait a game, hey man, let's do it. We're doing it. Yeah, we're
1: serving our country. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's way exactly. It is. It's an exciting. It yes, you're proud. I mean, just to, I don't mean to interrupt your story, and no. I know, but I felt the same way. I was a young lieutenant. I was second. I was yeah. proud. I was excited. I was one of the top people in my, you know, in my office as a lieutenant. I wanted to do well. I wanted to excel, and I was interested. I was like, wow, this is what we can do, and this. So yeah, I mean, I felt that same exuberance. Because you were you were doing something that you felt was noble. That was for me. I felt I was doing something noble and good and and, 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 and yeah, and honorable. So
2: yes, honorable, noble, helpful, helping the world, helping <laughs> our country with democracy. Right. Yes. So you build that. You have this. I remember when I got my I was getting my security clearance. Okay, and one of the things somebody said was. You want to know how patriotic Chuck is? Just look at the front license plate of his truck,
0: mm. and
2: it was a big eagle, you know, basically the the, the bald eagle. He e, 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 the the he put his union on it, yeah. and, and that. So you asked when I recognized the first time that's, that that um, this moral injury happened, and. When you launch one of these things, you take a lot of safety precautions. You, you make sure that you're safe. You make sure that um, uh, the people that work for you are safe. Mm-hmm. Because these are men and women who are putting their lives out there. And there's a lot of dangerous things on these missiles. So we're there. And it's during daylight. And the missile is 3,000 feet away from us. So if you want to put that in perspective, that's a little over a half a mile. Mm. So you can... And for your listeners and viewers, think about this. You can actually hear this 11-ton door slide open from the missile to the silo. Wow. You can hear it open and go, and it clicks back, and you know seconds later the missile's going to come up um, and, and fly. I mean, these things are kind of like the biggest, baddest bottle rocket in the world that you've ever lit. That's They're bigger than that. But here's the difference. This day, there was hundreds of people up there because it was so close. They wanted to see it. They wanted to say, oh, look, I got to see a Minuteman 3 take off. Well, what they didn't realize is if it exploded or if something malfunctioned, which really, that a lot of people were going to die. And this wasn't a joke. And that's what I felt. I st- That planted the seed of, oh, this is a show. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. not something that is real. It's going to bite you in the butt when it doesn't work right. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so I started, you know, it, 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 it came out in ways like um, I started drinking a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I started just going, you know, what's going on here? I tried to do a spiritual route, but didn't know how you know it, it cuz in my family in the military um you could be spiritual but there was a certain way to do it you 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 couldn't really um go and express really explore your moral concerns your moral um feelings at the time at least i didn't know how to do that mm-hmm. the second part of that injury occurred when I was in the Air National Guard, and this was in 94, 95, 96, in that area. Um, And we were still deploying these missiles. And supposedly, we had ended the Cold War. Mm -hmm. We had defeated the the Soviet Union. They changed their name. Mm -hmm. They did all this thing. (laughs) They were supposed to be, you know, a little more democratic. And yet, we were still... Having these Minuteman threes on on uh, duty, on alert, and nothing else was happening, and we weren't going away from that nuclear, um, uh, I'm sorry, mutual assured destruction, where we were we weren't going away from that methodology mm-hmm. to extort money and peace from other countries, and that's when it really hit me. But I honestly did not know what to do. I talked to a lot of counselors. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it just didn't dawn on me that the soul was covered up by, it it was, think about it this way. My soul was covered up in a nuclear bunker. It was down there. It was locked in Mm -hmm. and there was not a whole lot way in yet until I recognized that I needed to, you know, go all the way down the ladder, down the elevator, to where they actually would launch the missiles and, and coax the soul out.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's uh, you know we both have that background in working in the nuclear warfare program, and and it just it's I hadn't spoken to you or didn't know uh, your and but the parallels, the similarities, the sense of hopelessness and utter despair and 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 insanity. That we were engaged in on to make sure that we were in this uh, mutually assured destruction that we were this deterrence, nuclear deterrence. Which it, it, you don't create weapons unless you plan to or intend to use them. I'm sorry, you just yes. don't. I mean, I just it's it's counterintuitive, and you, I mean you don't. Um, and so you know, it, I felt very similar in the sense that all of a sudden, and I remember when my moral injury happened. I can re- I remember the place, I remember what I was doing, I remember how, where I was sitting, I remember, you know, and here we were connecting the, these mobile ground units that would be used to conduct I- nuclear war. And these going to it hadn't been operational yet. It was going to be operational under my leadership and the team that I had and all the scientists and, and uh, the military contractors and others. And so we had to get all the J6, NSA, Stratcom, yep. Spacecom, all of them to agree to it. And I just remember, and I just it was like, all of a sudden, it just dawned on me. Like I was just going through the motions. I was going through the motions. I was still feeling. And I was just, I just had a moment to sit there. And I had this moment to sit and look around what we were doing and where we were at. And, and, and I was sitting in these mobile units and I was just thinking to myself, what is this going to be used for? What are we doing this for? What, what's the ultimate purpose? And then it was just like a spear came right through my gut. And I was like, yep. oh, my God. What am I doing? What is this? This is not right. And it's all of a sudden it wasn't a game anymore. It wasn't a story that you read in the last chapter of the Bible. You know, it wasn't, uh, you know, some of these Armageddon-type uh, stories. That you, This was a real thing. This was, this was actually participating in the uh, possibility of that. And the horror, the horror of doing that was, was beyond comprehension. And so I, my soul fled. It was dissolved. There was no point in living a moral life. There was no point in doing the right thing. Why? We're all going to blow each other up anyway. This is just a veneer. This is the. This is a ruse. We've been. We've been deceived. I've been deceived and, and, and betrayed uh, by the forces by all kinds of things. So go ahead. No, no. I I just want to
2: feel your pain and feel what you said that for me it even went back to when we when we dropped the two atomic bombs on Nagasaki Mm -hmm. and Hiroshima because afterwards somewhere in in there I started reading about it and started realizing through just few people wrote about this that really didn't need to use those weapons. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
2: we did not. The Navy had already defeated Japan's J- Japanese. We just didn't didn't allow it to take place. Um, but that's the point. The politics over the nation's principles is what happened. And mm-hmm. that's what happened to, to me, the politics of what was going on, and then the politics of the continuation mm-hmm. when you were in the service. Mm-hmm. So this is... This is the, the the problem is that we go with these noble intentions, these moral intentions. We really want to work it. And then someone with a big boot literally goes smack. Mm-hmm. And we sit there and go, holy, whatever, you yeah. know, you want to put the word in there. And then we're like, uh, what? And I, I want to talk about it's a subtle thing. You know you talk about it you finally woke up in a spirit but think about how you got there it was subtle 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 and then mm-hmm. you went over the precipice mm-hmm. and for me it was subtle 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 and then i saw a group of people literally laughing carrying on thinking this is the greatest thing and then recognizing what happened mm-hmm. and go off the precipice again, and then recognize it again. And the really sad thing for me, and, and I know for you, because we've talked about this some, um, is that there was nothing there for us to pull ourselves out.
0: Mm-hmm. There it was wasn't. nobody
2: to call. The Ghostbusters wasn't available, or whatever <laughs> you want to you know. call. The counselors didn't understand. And, and even worse, the counselors didn't want to hear the story. Nope. because the story if we get into the story and you and I have gotten to to know some of our story it's like this is pain
0: mm-hmm.
2: this is absolute pain and it's not the kind of pain that goes away easy it, 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 it's it's not physical it's it's this moral pain it's this soul pain and you live it
0: mm-hmm.
2: because we remember and you know I, I remember um and and so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'll stop there. And we'll, we'll go on to something else. Well,
1: you know, it is, and, and you just, uh, you know, you and then you're left with this feeling like there's something wrong with me, that somehow uh, I'm not tough enough, that somehow I'm not, I don't have that inner strength or that inner resiliency to move forward, that, you know, people would come, this is just the way, that this is just what it is. Let's see, you signed up for this, you did this. And it's like, well, when did we become sociopathic? When did we become, the, you know, where we are are not thinking from a higher noble cause and understanding and reverencing all of life and recognizing sometimes when we do have to kill, but it's got to be for a noble reason. Where do we, where did we to, to erase that from our trainings and our understandings and, and. and and so it always made me feel at that time that there was something wrong with me. There was something to be ashamed about oh, yes. i didn't i didn 't yes. fight in combat i didn 't do this. Why am I all screwed up? Why am I so screwed up when i got when I, when i didn 't fight i didn't i didn't shoot a gun i didn't i didn 't kill anybody but i 'm messed up. How in the hell did that happen and then to oh. be made to feel unworthy and shame and then it just it was it was a God, it was a a, a snowball. It was a that yes. just got worse and worse. And then I'm I'm a alcoholic drug addict, and I'm like, where the heck? How did this happen? And you so know, we have to give we have to give people permission that are non combatants to say, you know what? It's okay to honor your soul and to know when you've been wounded, and not to let any detractors keep you from getting the help you need.
2: Exactly, exactly. And I think um, as you. It's it's the, it's the energy too. When you were talking, you were ta- you had so much energy, but it's this dark energy that sits there and consumes you, and 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 you don't. I didn't I didn't know how to ask. I didn't know, and that's the other part of this mm-hmm. too. In the military, and or men in, in general, we're not taught to ask. We're not taught to ask for help. So what do we do? We push it down. Damn it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. And, and you said something very important, and that was um, this is the way it is, Lieutenant or Captain. You've got to do it this way. And mm-hmm. if you want to talk about it, get the hell out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to, if you want to whine, there, there's the exit. And And you're like, wait a minute, I signed up. For this noble cause to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. And here we are, mm-hmm. trampling on that sacred document and the morals that we have in some ways attached to that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it is. And it took me, you know, 25 years to really figure out what was going on. I mean, I could see bits and pieces mm-hmm. when I got out of the military. Well, there's something about spirituality I wanted to work on. No, no, that's not the John Wayne image. That's not the military image. You can't (laughs) be a healer. You've got to do it this way. Um, And I'm an engineer. You know, I studied that. And and that. so there's all these things. And this, I I want to say not to blame it all on this, but this becomes a big piece of one's life Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of how do you deal with it. And, you know, and i and I would just I would start to get going, and then the two by four of moral injury would come by and go smack mm-hmm.
0: you
2: know and next thing I know I'd be landing on my behind, going what just happened mm-hmm. i thought I thought I did this, and my buddy i I'm, I'm my buddy, who was a Vietnam veteran calm guy like us um we were talking about the combat versus non-combat and he says yeah a lot of combat guys don't hold you in the same regard because you didn't have that direct frontal experience mm-hmm. and even the folks that were in the rear in um, afghanistan and iraq who didn't directly fire a weapon or a drop bombs or you know fired um uh, a cannon into the into the insurgent area they feel the same way. Mm-hmm. They feel like, well, I was there. I did this. I'm a part of that. I, I, I have to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And that we started talking about that. And that started getting me to think that, wait a minute, maybe there's something to mm-hmm. this. There's something else going on. And, you know, people should have to suffer through all of that to figure out that, hey, this happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's terrible that we are unable to get the help we need, but it goes back to um, partly the military. You know, there's 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 not a surgeon general warning on you know the contract you sign that says this may be traumatist to your health. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. and that is you know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's in training, whether it's um, you know, you have an accident on active duty um, because you were doing something in service of your country. There's a lot of things that go on that are complex when you serve.
1: It, it is, and I'm, you know, and one of the things that I help to because of the nature of modern warfare. And I think it's really important to get this – to make this clear to people or as clear as I can can try to make it. You know, once we entered the nuclear age, things shifted dramatically. And it was people that were behind the scenes. The further distance you had from the battlefield – you are actually more guilty and more culpable than the people who are actually on the battlefield now. Because the guys who are on the battle and the gals who are on the battlefield right now, they know their mission. They're in that very you know <clears throat> warrior dimension of I'm against him and he's against me and we're going to see who's, you know, that's the rules of the game. But with nuclear weapons and weapons of mass destruction and all that stuff, the further you are from the field, the more culpable and guilty you are. Because you enable it to make it happen. You make the connections possible. You bring, you bridge the links. You you, you give the orders. You do whatever. So it, the responsibility lays further away from the battlefield than the people who are on the battlefield. And that's what noncombatants need to understand. They need to understand that. That's part of the injury.
2: Let's go a little further with this because I think this is a potent point that you bring out. And that is... Think about nuclear weapons. It doesn't take but a few to destroy millions of people, <laughs> and, and that's what I think. What what is hard to understand is that when we look at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, they were—I don't remember the the numbers—somewhere around 150 dead between the two, um, 150,000 dead between the two bombs. Mm-hmm. Well, we can do that now with one. With one, that will do in the millions. So, and think about this, it only takes 30 minutes to do this. And, you know, it, it It may seem like a complex entity that we're talking about, but if you really do research into nuclear weapons and all of the the incidents, we've had about seven to 12 incidents through our years of almost total nuclear destruction.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a particular one when the Soviet Union, this colonel, um, decided that his, his computers were wrong. True. And I don't know how he figured it out, but it was a gut intuition. Had he not and twisted the keys, there would be nothing left. Wow. Gosh, so, so... One little other piece. Wow. Pakistan and India mm-hmm. have nuclear weapons. Um, capability and they've come close Mm -hmm. so think about this if they were to have a limited nuclear war roughly roughly I won't get into all the details roughly half the population of this earth will be decimated over the years it will take a couple years but that will will happen Um, this is from the the Doomsday Clock people that um, this is their information Mm -hmm. Um, if the United States and the former Soviet Union or Russia actually go at it somewhere, they, they pretty much feel there will be almost the entire population.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: that is on top of this. You and I both know these different things where a lot of the, the citizens in this country really don't know. And it's hard to even fathom it when you know it, that you can destroy all those people, mm-hmm. so that's a compounding issue when you're dealing with the moral trauma.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you weren't, We weren't designed to handle that kind of, uh, um, I guess, carnage on our on our souls. Uh, the immensity, the, the 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 you know, the sheer numbers of it is just. It, it's it's too much and it's hard to wrap our heads around it and and so we and what do we do because it's so hard we want to shut it out you know, and we want to we want to distance ourselves. We want to pretend it's not happening. We want to put our blinders on, which so many people do, and they'll get over here and they'll live in fantasy where they, my world this is something else, or they live in this very cold, uh, you know, reality. It's just you know, uh, no, there's no feeling, there's no emotion. They completely cut themselves off from it. So you've got two polarities that divide people. End up going towards because they can't deal with what is really going on because it's too much and so that's why we have to be able to come together to be able to hold it together rather than just try to hold it ourselves because that's the human soul was not meant to do that
2: well this is a community project yeah. you see the, the soul there's the individual soul or truest self and then there's the individual truest community and we become part of that and we're like a puzzle piece and if we don't find our true place in this puzzle And we stay, you know, um, in the old proverbial, you know, a square peg in a round hole, then we we, we become less than we Mm -hmm. just end up literally going into a ball and saying, you know, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let my soul out. I'm not going to feel I'm going to do this thing down this very linear path so I don't feel all these things that are going to come up. And without the community, without the community of warriors, without the, the noble purpose, without um, uh, the, the ritual practice of reintegrating re-in- back in community, mm-hmm. we leave our veterans out there to end up, what, become homeless in in the, in the extreme, or really take on jobs that just don't, aren't good for the community aren't good for them and then what happens to them they become people who end up um um you know disenfranchised Mm -hmm. not in this the terms that we tend to hear about social economics but they become very cold Mm -hmm. they become all the things we've talked about and then they pass that on to their children Mm -hmm. they pass that on to the community and what happens the community becomes this way. And then we start really um, squashing the principles and and one of them being, you know, uh, truth and honor and respect. Mm -hmm. All those things start to be eroded away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our work is to start to restore that from the soul of it.
1: Well, how do you, you know, and I, I think it's important for people to get an understanding. How does Moral injury—what we're talking about today—how does that show up in non-combatants? What are ways we've talked about how it showed up in, you know, how it showed up in me, how it showed up in you? But how might it be show up in other ways for people so that they can recognize in themselves uh, if they might be suffering from uh, from moral injury?
2: Well, you know, I think we've already talked a lot about it. You know, I haven't done surveys of. of, of Non-combat veterans in this way, but I've talked to a couple, and and it's there is a theme. It's less than. Yeah. I call that shadow in my own self less than man. Mm-hmm. We come out of it less than because we were told shut up or get out. Mm-hmm. Shut up or you know you're going to get court-martialed or whatever the threat is, mm-hmm. and then we that comes inside. So the less than, the drinking, the drugging, taking jobs that aren't quite what you are, following a very narrow path, trying to control life.
1: <laughs> right. You know, trying right.
2: to control yeah. life in a way so that you can you can have a glimmer of, of happiness in there. If I control my life in this little square, mm-hmm. then right. I might get a little piece typically you don't feel happy with things and, right. I, and i don't mean happy like oh i'm all positive yeah i'm talking about joy yeah. you know and a good way to to, to, to to this is bringing a child you know delivery of a child is is painful experience now i have not had my own child that way my wife bore our child i was trying to make a little humor out of this <laughs> but um um it was painful for her,
1: right? But yet, right. it was
2: joy to bring our daughter up, and it was painful at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. There's a lack of joy in that person, where you don't see that spark of light.
1: And I think it's also, and you were just talking about, and it's interesting you brought up the pain of childbirth. The pain of childbirth is probably the you know the most pain any human being. Can experience Uh, and women got us on that They You you know, giving child, you just do. I mean, it's Uh, champions, heroes in that way. Yet it's they don't they don't remember their suffering. They know they went through a lot of pain, but they don't have any suffering connected to it because it's adds to the continuity of life you 're contributing to life you 're giving to life you 're adding to it you're you you're, you're, you're creatively participating in it literally and so the, the, there's no suffering and I think a lot a big key is that you were talking we when when our suffering is insurmountable and we there is a moral injury there that we need to deal with or something that has been thrown off of balance that is Anathema against the right way. It is. It is that needs to be brought back into alignment. And so, look at those symptoms. It took me a long time. I saw those symptoms, but it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that all of a sudden I was right. like, "Holy shit! I need to get some help." <laughs> you know. Well, it and so, comes back
2: to the the thing of joy. You were talking about that because it's a there's a joy attached with child there bearing joy of rearing a child. When we come out of the military, is there a joy around killing people or maiming people or the potential of? No. So here we are. We've done this work. And we go, wow, we've been used, whatever the words you want to do. And we come out and go, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the joy. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the joy of what I did. And I'm not, and, it, and, and there's pain in, in there. But there's also positive things, too, and they're just those positive things become so small. Mm -hmm. And the pain, the negative becomes so large that joy gets blotted out. And then we have to hit rock bottom because as we were talking about, we're talking about the soul here. We're talking about the truest self and there's that noble potential. Mm-hmm. That noble potential has gotten cemented over, put outside one's body. Whatever, however you want to look at it, mm-hmm. it is now not fully accessible, and that's what's going to create your own joy.
1: Well, and it's that, and I think it's you know, for me, it was uh, that moment where you, if you continue to betray your soul, if you betray yes. that part inside of you that knows right from wrong good from bad good from evil all that stuff that's our metronome that's our you know that helps us to guide us so that we live uh, a good and, and moral you, you continue to betray that through self-betrayal through doing participating in things that you know are immoral or not right or unjust or whatever it may be you start not only to drown that out but your life starts to fall apart in ways that you know your relationships are not doing well. You're not uh, you getting jobs that are not really in alignment with your true te- intent or purpose. Um, you're you're constantly depressed or unmotivated. You're, you're 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 having this malaise, this cloud that seems to hang over you. And part of healing, I think, in getting on that um, you know the warrior path, this this moral healing is 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 learning to start being honest with yourself. Being yes. truthful with yourself, being not allowing the outside world to influence your decision, but really to get clear on, is this true for me? Is this right for me? Is this good for me? And if it's not, I got to stop it. And if not, I got to do something that can help me to and, and get surround myself with people that really understand what this journey back to wholeness is all about. And I would love for you to be able to share uh, some of the things that what can we do, um, Chuck, that that can help us to correct and heal this, and 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 what is the importance also of reconciliation and restitution uh, in warrior healing?
2: Wow, those are two big questions. Big questions.
1: Um, well, we got I'm, we got like uh, ten minutes here, so I want to like try to make right, sure we so get these in.
2: I think I think the biggest piece is recognize what I, what what um, is called the default purpose, your default purpose, the things that you're doing that are not in line with your soul Mm -hmm. to really recognize that. So you have to dig deep in that. Um, The other piece is to have rituals around those pieces, those sub personalities, those shadows that don't work for you. I did that around Chuck, military Chuck, military Chuck was trying to protect me. So I literally brought him out in the open and said, look, we need to talk. I don't need you anymore. And I I did that a little less directly because Mm -hmm. you want to recognize that the shadow is there. They're there to protect you. But now in this life, as you're moving forward, they're not. Mm -hmm. And rituals are very affirming and important. And I did it with people that were very close with me who understood, who had, um, uh, worked with me through my spiritual companioning program and that just this popped out like almost the first day i was there Mm -hmm. That this was just so evident and they worked with me over the almost two years that we were together and that that came out there the default purpose is the purpose that is is what you're doing right now to get you sort of to that place um and it's going to be affected by your moral trauma. And, mm-hmm. and you need to recognize what that is. It could be that you take jobs that are not quite, you know, as you were saying earlier, jobs that don't work. for mm-hmm. Jobs that aren't filling that noble potential. And I, I say that because it goes to reconciliation and atonement. Mm-hmm. Is once you find that noble purpose, the healing is there. It's mm-hmm. in doing the, the work of helping others. The restitution—it's um, it, in there because you recognize that what happened in my case the, with working with nuclear weapons—that it's going to take a lifetime to do this. How can <laughs> I not do that work? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so, and so there's a lot of other pieces uh, that go along. It's recognizing what happened in the military. Mm-hmm. It's recognizing that point in time when it happened. It's recognizing the physical pieces, as we talked about, the mental health pieces, and then more- most important it's recognizing those soul pieces mm-hmm. that come up, and that's where um uh, where you know our, our mental health system is not really designed to handle that very mm-hmm. well the soul the the spiritual pieces and so um When you work down and and recognizing that the soul has been covered, you know, down in the silo for 25 years, Mm -hmm. the first thing you do is where's the entrance to the silo? Mm -hmm. And that's really working.
1: And it is uh, and it's it's hard work. It's challenging work, but it's liberating. I mean, the very things that people are asking for, you know, liberating, you know, for the freedom of the soul. It is and 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 you know, I, I've done a lot of studies in different uh Religious and spiritual traditions, and they all speak about the 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 freedom of the soul. I mean, and and uh, how to liberate it, how to 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 get clear of that. And it is such, but it takes a lot of work, especially when you have worked with uh, destruction, when you have worked with war, when you have been a part of that. It is um, uh, uh, quite an endeavor, but it is so worth it, you know. And and you talked a, a little bit about restitution and service. You know, uh, for me, it was when I started finally getting out there and coming, uh, you know, and sharing my story a little bit and being around in public and... Being willing to face my fears and those shadows and those things, parts of me that I had cut off from myself, that I had, that I, that I, you know, disdained about myself, that I hated about myself, that I was, all those things, when I started to integrate those aspects, part of me a little bit more and a little bit more, I felt better, I was doing better, things started to, to, was a lot better in my life, my relationships were better, all these things started to improve. And so there is, uh, and it's multi-layered. You, you have to work the body, you have to work the mind, you have to work your emotions, you have to work your spirituality, all of those things. And- uh, I
2: wanted, I'm sorry, uh, Charlie, I wanted to just mention the other piece of this, too, is you need a spiritual practice. Yes, you do. Period. You need to deepen the spiritual practice. Going to church or going to temple or going to the Zendo and sort of... Going through the emotions don't, doesn't do it. You mm-hmm. need to say, "Okay, I'm going to do this." And and it is. It's a cyclic. It's sort of uh, this, um, uh, like the Guggenheim Museum. You go up, up, and you've got to keep going. And you're going to go through it. And then as you keep going up, you're going to hit the body, the mind, the spirit, mm-hmm. the emotions, the heart, the body, mind, spirit, emotion, heart. And you're going to keep doing that. And you, and and you become to a point where you understand that when something comes out of left field, the two by four, or this case, maybe it's just a small twig that's hitting you. It's something you need to stop recognize and work on because it is something that it just, you've got to work on that in order to continue walking the path.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Chuck, if you could go back to your 20 year old self, whatever age, when you started the service, and uh, and you could give five minutes with him uh, to prepare him for what he was going to face. What would you tell him? You know, I thought about that question, and part of me is going,
2: uh, "Would I?" You know, that's a good question. How can I do that? And I think the thing I would have said to him is, "Noble purpose. Yeah. Look at what you're doing." don't discount the fact that you want to serve your country is this the place to serve it and and if this is the right place to serve it understand what you need to do in order to continue to do that in the military in the way to really explore it um and then on the other side of it is i ask the question well, what happens if I actually had that conversation? How would I change my trajectory? And if I change my trajectory, would have I gotten to my noble purpose? So, I mean, it's a, it's, philosophical, it is, it is a
1: philosophical conundrum. It right? truly kind of is.
2: <laughs> right,
1: yeah. But I, I, I ask it because I think, you know, it, maybe it wouldn't change and you wouldn't want it. But just uh, to give yourself hope, you're going to get through it. You're going to get through the other side. I already know what you're going to go through. Just don't lose faith in yourself. So I think that's what think, it would have been. Trust yeah. in yourself. You know, be true to who you are, and even if that costs you, everything, just be true to yourself. And 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 I think that's what what I when I think about that question, I think that's what I would have told myself. Being
2: true, being true, and honoring yourself. Don't go down the road of less than man.
1: exactly. Chuck this has been amazing i, I uh, it 's two o 'clock here we uh, we 've got we 've got to finish up here but before we do I just want to do a quick shout out announcement to the station here k u h s TV radio Denver the stream we are broadcasting live here in denver Colorado uh, beautiful Colorado and broadcasting all across the nation all around the world I want to thank Henry and everybody who's working behind the scenes to make all of this magic happen before you. Uh, Without Henry and everybody uh, in the back, uh, we wouldn't be able to even have this uh, show here for you. So thank you. Everybody who works at KUHS, there's some amazing shows here, personalities, VDJs, programs. Tune in to KUHS, TV Radio, Denver, the stream. uh, We're the we're, we're we're doing some amazing work. All right. Tune in. Listen to this to the to this station. And um and before we close, I always like to ask Chuck. Um I always like to ask my guests, if you could give one bit of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be?
2: Uh let your soul sing. Mm. <laughs> let your soul sing. You know, um, That is the thing. When you let your soul sing, uh, there's joy. Mm -hmm. And it's not a a religious thing. If if you don't, if the language doesn't resonate with you, your truest self or cosmic energy, let that shine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let that shine.
1: Yep. It is. It's, uh, this is your one chance to let your soul sing. Let it sing. I love it. Love it. Love it. Chuck, thank you so much. Thank you. thank you for being here on the show. Folks, thank you for tuning in from wherever you are around this great, beautiful world. Thank you for tuning in to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello. The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. Take care of yourself, folks. God bless. We'll see you soon.